welcome to Afternoon Delight. Real people and real stories, a local podcast for local artists. And welcome back to Afternoon Delight of Myself, Joy Delight. Well, do you know what? It's been such a, such an absolute delightful week I've had. Do you know that? I've seen so many friends. I um, had a bit of a, a party on Friday night um, of two of me and my bubble, and I was so exhausted um, yesterday. And I've been doing my commission for my normality with the Scottish Mental Health Arts Festival. Um, which, I'll be honest, weirdly kind of coincides with this Afternoon Delight episode for all of you. I have been very fortunate that I have been on CAFTIO, or in some places it's called Tricafta, um, because I got it on Compassionate Grounds in February 2020. Now, it was the last week of February that I got it, and before I had got it, I'd been in hospital every five weeks. So before I did Afternoon Delight, my listeners might not know that I was really ill. You know, I've talked in my episodes in episode one and uh, season two, one and three, one, etc. that um, I was really ill. And something happened when I started this drug that felt very instantaneous. I felt like I transformed physically within two weeks and became this strong person, broad shoulders that I did not ever think I'd become. And... That medication truly is a safe modulator drug that I felt my body go through a modulation. You know, everything has changed and heightened and different. Our guest today is Dean Puckering. Now, Dean Puckering himself went on CAFTIO and his whole life has changed. Dean has worked in wrestling, working with Inside the Ropes, and we came across each other via the CF Trust's um, My Passion Keeps Me Well campaign. And basically, he was the first one talking about wrestling. I was the second one then talking about drag, you know. And, and one of the things that we touch on a lot of the episodes, which I think is really interesting, is the parallels between drag and wrestling. There's quite a few, and Salmonella, if you're listening, obviously, you can what we're talking about. Um, so when we meet, met on Twitter, we followed each other, and we've just engaged with each other a lot through that. So we actually got to meet on Zoom for this and catch up on all things CF and the wrestling world and just about his fantastic work that he's got planned and still doing, fundraising for various charities. Um, I, I can't begin to talk about how many um, important moments come out of this story, so I'm going to leave that up to him, and without a doubt, it is the incredible and really talented and inspiring Dean Puckering. He is such a delight. He is doing so much for the CF community as an activist. He also has worked in wrestling. I'm very interested to interview him. And he's also my third person who also has CF on Afternoon Delight and the last because this is the last season. So it is such a privilege to have someone who also did the My Passion Keeps Me Well campaign that I did. It is, of course, Dean Puckering. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, yeah. I've managed to break myself away from a, a crying, screaming 10-month-old daughter just temporarily, so I'll get some respite from that, but I'm good. Yeah, how are you? I'm really good. You know, it's so funny, because last week, I'd obviously said this to you before we started recording, that Rob Miles, my last guest during the interview, actually had his baby have an accidental poo emergency, and we had to pause recording, so I totally understand what you were talking about with this um, 
with having it just negotiate this round a child obviously it's such a different thing and I, I'm here for it because I've just discovered actually that two of my friends both this week have texted me saying they're pregnant and I thought oh my god it's just baby central right now and then here's me sitting going do I want to have a bottle of wine tonight <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean like my just, you just drink more wine when you're a parent that's what you do you just drink even more of it it's like when my cats shit themselves, I go, right, the, the wine's getting opened. That's my closest to a baby I've got. But um, yeah, this is going to be so exciting. This is a different episode because I've never had anyone that worked in wrestling. And nice. I think the fact that we both did My Passion Keeps Me Well is definitely something exciting um, to discuss. Because I know that obviously you've openly talked about the fact you have CF and we've had quite similar experiences, I feel, but in different ways, which is really going to be exciting. So could you introduce yourself for my listeners? Yeah, I'd say I knew you were going to hit me with that question because when you when you put somebody on the spot and try and get them to talk about themselves, they always either rabble on for ages or they don't say much. But obviously, I'm my name's Dean, as you've already said. I'm I'm 33. I think I'm 33 years old. Obviously, like you said, I've got cystic fibrosis, but I'm trying to keep myself busy with with my family and my uh, wrestling stuff that I do and my job. I work two days a week part time for a, a big satellite telecommunications company. There are other sort of TV companies available, so I won't give them a plug. Um, so keeping myself busy, I do a lot. Uh, and I also run social media for the wrestling website that I work for as well. So there's a lot going on, a lot going on. And I've also just started Twitch streaming, which is uh, something that I'm enjoying so far. So yeah, there's a lot going on. Do you know, it's funny with Twitch because I didn't know about Twitch until the pandemic. And that was because I've started doing a like, digital drag show once a month that's uh, on Twitch and we stream it there. And um, Twitch has brought a lot of people together. Like drag artists, gamers, wrestling fans, like people that stream movies and they do reviewing reaction videos and stuff. It's wild. What, what have you been doing with Twitch? So I do uh, a show because the website that I, I work for is called Inside the Ropes. I know we're going to get into it. So we were, we were coming up with sort of show names for Twitch and because we've all got, we've got like five shows a week and, and there's different members of the Inside the Ropes crew that are doing shows. And because I'm heavily into retro gaming and, and old style sort of video games and things like that, I, I came up with an idea called the IT Arcade. So it's like a play on, a play on the initials plus the play on the word arcade. So I, I, I do that. The first show was on, what are we now, Tuesday. So the first show was on, on uh, Sunday, Saturday it was. We did a 12-hour charity live stream which went really, really well. I was second up and I was shitting myself because that's the first time I've ever done it live. So I've, I've done little bits before. I've done pre-recorded podcasts and obviously the Passion Keeps Me Well project, I've done that. I've even worked in TV before, but, but the pressure of being live is totally different because at least if you fuck up doing something recording, you can just patch it over, you can, you can fix it in post. Mm -hmm. But when you're live, you're live and there's nothing that can protect you from that. So I was absolutely bricking. I had a couple of whiskeys beforehand um, but it went really well, you know, the show did really well. We raised £750 for, a, local, for a, a UK charity called the Trussell Trust, and they provide food parcels and support for the most needy families. And we thought that during the pandemic, it was a good time to sort of do something like that. And, you know, even somebody donating £5, that can feed a family. So, you know, for, for one meal for, for, for a day. So it was really important that we, we launched the Twitch with a, with a bang and and that's what we did. So I really enjoyed it, actually. It was a good buzz being live and, and doing that. So I do that every week now, every Sunday. That's my show at nine o'clock. So I'm excited to sort of get into it and, and play loads of different stuff and, and chat to people and sort of grow a sense of community. And I totally get what you mean about live performance and sort of being like, well, it's, you can't re-edit that. You know, I've been doing digital drag now for a year and a bit and it's, it's been great but I'm missing being on stage and doing things live. But I'm also not missing the fact that you do rely heavily on if you fuck up, you've got to just own it. You've got to sell it. 
and I'm doing a, my first live gig tomorrow on Zoom. I say live because it's still on Zoom, but it's actually live singing as opposed to doing a video on editing, and it's such a different thing, and I'm really feeling the nerves, so I'll be having a wee glass of wine before I do my set singing for people, because <laughs> calm the nerves, get into the atmosphere, pretend I'm in the club, um, and listen to you, like, still raising money for other things and being an activist for other things. I think that's, that's just brilliant, like a heart of gold, clearly. It's absolutely amazing, and such a good amount of money to make as well, so that's brilliant. So... Let's get into this then, right? I'm going to ask the question that I ask everyone, the infamous question that everyone kind of goes, all right, let me have my Oprah moment. Where did you kind of grow up and study and work and live before you pursued the work that you do? So I had a quite an interesting, varied childhood. So um, I grew up in Wigan, which is sort of just outside Manchester. I live in Manchester now anyway, well, Salford, which is another city suburb of Manchester. But I grew up in Wigan um, and I... I had, I had a, a tumultuous childhood, shall we say, and, and we, were, we, we didn't have a lot of money when we were kids. And obviously my mum was struggling with the fact that she had a baby with cystic fibrosis. And at the time, we didn't know a lot about it. So that was a struggle. We moved around a lot when we were kids um, because I was bullied quite a lot in school. So we moved from school to school and we moved house quite a lot. Um, so, yeah. Childhood was difficult and I grew up on a council estate and we, well, I've always been a council estate person, not so much anymore, but not that there's anything wrong with that, obviously. A lot of my most formative years and things were spent on council estates and made a lot of friends and things like that, but it was rough and, you know, we did, like I said, we didn't have a lot uh, of money and things like that, so that was tough, but, you know, once I got through that sort of stage, I, I, I sort of came into my own as a person and I had a lot of hobbies and interests and, like I said before, gaming was always something that helped me distract myself and switch off from stuff that was going on at school and at home and things like that and health wise so that was kind of my escape and when and then when I got to about four or five years old I saw uh, a friend of my dad's just watching a wrestling show I didn't even I, I, I just didn't I'd never seen it before it was really interesting and it caught my eye and then one night me and my dad used to have this thing where we used to go to the, the video shop once a week on a Friday and we used to rent a video. We used to rent like a different film or, a, or something like that. And, and one, on this particular week, I think I was about five years old, I just saw this yellow box in the corner. And obviously the color of it, when you're that age, colors sort of attract you. And I, and I just saw this shiny yellow box in the corner of this video shop. And on the front of this cover was like Hulk Hogan, The Ultimate Warrior, The Legion of Doom, The Macho Man Randy Savage, all these colorful characters with face paint and costumes on and makeup and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I want that, I wanna watch that not knowing what it was. And my dad was kind of like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to watch that? You know, it's, it's not really for kids. I mean, at the time it was, wrestling was for kids, but it was kind of like, mm, it's a bit different. There's fighting in it, uh, but I wanted it. And in fact, I've got an Ultimate Warrior. I know you can't see it because it's an audio podcast, but I'm just going to show you. So <laughs> I've got there. So that's, that's one of those things. So I, I watched that and then I just fell in love with it ever since. Like the first time I saw wrestling was, it just blew me away. It captured my imagination and all these larger than live characters overcoming obstacles and overcoming adversity and, and winning titles and things like that. It, it sort of, it, again, it was just another thing as a kid that, that gave me an escape from stuff that was going on mm. in, in real life and stuff. So, and I've been a fan ever since I've, 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 I've sort of, watched it since I was a kid I've, I've been lucky enough to work in the industry now and do a lot of cool things so yeah that's kind of a little bit about me mm. and it's interesting because I don't think you would probably imagine this or maybe you would but I actually was a big wrestling fan as a kid an early teenager myself 
and sort of 15 onwards, I kind of left it. I didn't really kind of keep watching it. Um, I think one friend had made a comment about being fake and it just ruined my life, obviously. And I was like, I can't hack this. You've like ruined my whole childhood. But I actually talked to a lot of drag artists, drag kings, queens, etc., that they actually all love wrestling. And I find that really funny because like, I can kind of see a parallel sometimes between drag and wrestling. I actually can with the persona, the putting on yeah. the performance, the the bravado of it, I can totally actually see it. And I, when you mention makeup, I quite like that because that is another thing, obviously. Um, and I just remember one of the funniest things that happened in my life to this day was meeting Bret Hart randomly. And I, it was not one of, it's like one of those weird moments that my friend had phoned me. Both of us had been up all night on like MSN. God, that's how long ago this was, MSN. Oh God. And we were like, we couldn't sleep. And I remember her saying, listen, like, we didn't sleep. And Ocean Terminal have put that they're doing this thing where Bret Hart's going to be there. Do you want to go for a laugh? And I thought, fuck it. <clears throat> and I remember we went to Starbucks and we, like, sat. And our mum dropped us off and picked us up. And we got him to, like, sign a book that I bought. And I've got <clears throat> somewhere. And I thought, why? And years later, I think, God, I would have been 12, 13. And years later, I used to, like, say to people, like, oh, you know, I, you know, I met Bret Hart. The most random thing in my life. Like, I met Bret Hart, and he was really nice. Really nice. He's a nice guy. Yeah, he's great. I mean, you, like, you touched on it there, though. Like, you were saying about the drag side of things. It is, it's that performance aspect of it, isn't it? It's, it's being this persona and being able to sort of turn your real self off for a bit and do these things that you kind of, maybe you've wanted to do for a while and maybe you don't have the confidence in your own self. But then the whole thing about drag is... is I guess the opposite side of that is is just being more confident and and, and being yourself as well. So it's, it it comes hand in hand in terms of like you get a lot of wrestlers that are most wrestlers I've met are quite shy and quiet and reserved in themselves. And then when they come through the curtain, they're like, Whoa, you know, like they're really like just turn it up because they can pretend to be someone somebody that they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot. I think there is a lot of similarities there. Yeah. Um, but you, you, <laughs> meeting Bret Hart randomly is crazy. I mean, was it his book that he signed or? Yeah, I went and so we went, he was selling his books. I bought one and then he signed it for me and I got a photo with him. And I remember like just, he was really nice, but I just, I don't really know what I expected. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just thought we'll do this and it'll be fun. And then years later, one of my friends, Sal Manella, who's a drag queen in Glasgow, does like a podcast on wrestling because she loves it. And she talked about the parallels between drag and I told her and she was like, you met Bret Hart? I went, I know. <laughs> Bret? Met Bret Hart, she's like, what? I was like, yeah, I literally met Bret Hart. So random, one of those like random stories in my life. And it's interesting hearing about being bullied at school because obviously a big thing for me at school was obviously being bullied for being part of the queer community and being gay, right? Yeah. But I'm interested to hear, you know, was, was your bullying down to you having CF or was that just down to other like external things because you said you moved quite a lot of schools because of it. it must have been quite hard in terms of being bullied at school then was that down to having cf or was that just down to people being arseholes and we bullies essentially it was a bit of both it was both because obviously i had tablets and and sort of uh creon and things which is a digestive tablet if people don't know you know to sort of take while i was at school and things like that but again it was going back to the thing that i lived on a council estate and we were quite poor so we didn't have like the latest clothes and the latest trainers and you know the latest stuff as kids so it was kind of that it was all it was all the kind of stuff for like you know i'm wearing two stripe knockoff adidas pants and everybody else is wearing the, the genuine stuff so it was kind of like oh dean can't afford this and you can't afford anything and you live in a box and all that kind of stuff you know kids just say some mean shitty things mm. i'd like to think that they don't know any better but 
as I got older, I learned that that just wasn't the case. But um, yeah, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of that stuff. And plus the fact that I had CF and I was a little bit different. And when I got into high school, it got a little bit worse because I, I got preferential treatment because of my CF and people used to um, take my tablets off me and, and, you know, take my bag and throw it up a tree and things like that. So it was really awful. Like I had, a, I had an awful time in school, but I guess it kind of made me the person that I am today because I'm a lot less tolerant of stuff like that because of my experiences. Mm -hmm. So like any sort of injustice or discrimination or people just being treated like shit just because of who they are, mm -hmm. I absolutely have no time for that. And that's just based off my own experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things where you can't, when you're a kid, I mean, how do you, how do you respond to things like that? You, you know, because you tell people and, and it may have changed now, but when I was a kid, it was teachers used to always tell me oh just ignore it and it'll go away and they'll stop and they never did like you want you want schools and things to take some concrete action against this kind of stuff and then they never did so we fell into that trap of getting to a point where the bullying was so bad and it got too much to where I had to move schools and then that cycle would just start all over again until sort of I mean literally until I left school like until I was 16 and I left high school um so yeah it was tough it was tough um but, you know, I got through it, you know. Mm. So you did get through it. You're here now. And the thing is, when I talk to other artists and people in the arts and industry, like, you know, a lot of those people, I think you're the fourth now in three seasons that has said, I was bullied for things that now I make money and I do that people praise me for. But it's funny at school that you're picked on for those things, apparently. But actually, that's probably just down to their insecurity and jealousy. But when, you know, when an adult says that to you when you're young, you kind of go oh, adults are just saying that to make me feel better, but actually that genuinely is nine out of 10 times the reason why. Um, so after high school then, you know, what happened? Did you go and study at uni? Did you kind of go to college? Like, what did you do after that? Yeah, I went to college and it was really weird because I'd, I'd, I'd gone through like, I don't know, 12, 13 years of this constant nonstop bullying and moving around. And then in college, it just stopped. Like, I don't know what it was. It just, it just stopped overnight. Like the bullying just literally stopped. I don't know whether it was the people that I was with um, studying with in college it might have just been the fact that I was no longer associated with anybody from school because we moved again so we moved but also I didn't go to a I then didn't go to another school where people were living in the area that I'd moved to mm. so I was I, it just kind of I guess it was a perfect storm situation where I'd, I'd moved away plus then no longer was going to school with these people on a daily basis so I met all these new amazing people at college and then when you get to 16, 17, you've mellowed a little bit and you become, you start to learn a little bit about who you are. And at that age, you do sort of realize maybe I was a bit of a dick when I was younger. That's the sort of age where you start to learn a bit more about yourself and your personality and things. And so, yeah, I, I studied, um, I did a retail NVQ in college. I did that for two years and then I went and did business studies. And then when I was 18, I just went into work. I went and got a job working in retail. I worked at a cash converters in Wigan. And then I worked for Game Station when they were around. I did a lot of jobs, a lot of retail jobs. Um, I did that kind of stuff because the qualifications that I got coming out of school weren't amazing by any stretch. You know, I wasn't like an A student or anything like that because of the issues that I'd had. You know, my attendance was really bad, so I didn't do well in my exams and all that kind of stuff. So, but then when I went to college, like I said, things started to get a little bit better. I got a job, started to get money, um, you know, started to then, you know, build up some um collections of things that I liked and I was into and then started to pursue like you know wrestling as a as a bit of a more of a hobby slash career because I started a website and all that kind of stuff mm. and then I just worked until I was like 
27 and then I've decided yeah. as a mature student as they say that I wanted to go to uni and try try and do something a bit more which is I then started to do TV production and um, and all that kind of stuff so and that was obviously when things really started to change in terms of what I was then doing as a career and, and making money out of I, mean, I still have a part-time job that's not really what I want to do but it's okay for now while I work on other things that I want to pursue Mm. So chat me then through, because this sounds like this is, you've had that moment I had that everyone I think in the industry has where you're kind of working all these different things to work out where you're going. And I think in everyday life, we're always kind of finding different journeys and going different roads, in my opinion, in this industry. Because when I first left uni, like I worked in an after school club for a year and a half because I went, I don't know if I even want to do the industry anymore. I don't know if I want to even, I thought I was going to be a primary teacher at one point. Do you know what I mean? I didn't even know what mm. in at that point. So I, thought, I just need a job to pay my rent. My private rent was extortionate and I just thought, I'll do this. I can DJ and have fun at the weekends. And I was only like 20 fucking one. Do you know what I mean? Like it was just one yeah. a life. And it's, it's that thing with CF that, you know, at, at that point I was going through the emotions of sort of, oh, I've got CF and I've got this mortality rate and I'm over it. And I'm going through my rebellious phase that kind of started at 17, but it really took effect in my 20 to 25 years, essentially. Same, same. Really hit me hard. So chat me then kind of through that moment after going to uni and getting sort of the highlights of your career and sort of getting with the inside the ropes, you know, chat me through all that. That would be great to hear more about. You, you mean in terms of like how I got involved in it, you mean? Yeah, yeah, and just the highlights of your career up until now, really, like, you know. Yeah, so basically when I, when I started doing uni stuff and doing the production side of things, I started a, there was only, there was only like five people that ever watched it, but I started like a, you know, like a soccer AM style wrestling show that was kind of like two people hosting it and chatting and bantering about wrestling and was like this little set that was made up of like wrestling figures and belts and things like that. And it looked quite cool. It was one of my uh, assignment projects that I did. Um, and a few people, like a couple of people saw it and there was a, a guy who was running a local wrestling promotion in Preston that, that was looking for people to get involved and help with because they were expanding and they were getting a little bit bigger. And the wrestling scene in the UK was starting to blow up. I mean, you'll probably know living up in, in Scotland, ICW is pretty big in Scotland or was pretty big. So, you know, you've got that that sort of scene and that was blowing up. So this wrestling promoter just wanted people to help out. And, he, and, and I guess he'd seen some of the work that I was doing and, and was impressed with it. So I was invited to sort of help out backstage, doing sort of backstage interviews with wrestlers after their matches and talking about like what they were going to do next. You know, it was all part of the show, just kind of like, you know, you beat me on Sunday. I'm going to make sure I kick your ass on Monday, all that kind of stuff. So we were doing that. Yeah. Um, so that was my sort of entry into it. And then about six months into that, the guy that was pretty much running the entire show left. Um, I think he had a fallout with the promoter or something like that, and he ended up leaving. So that obviously left the promoter in a bit of a pickle. So I kind of like, you know, well, production's kind of my thing that I'm doing in uni. So this would be a really cool opportunity for me to sort of, again, use this as part of my studies to be like, this is what I can do. So he ended up sort of giving me the reins to sort of produce the entire show. So before we knew it, I was, he was buying these cameras that I'd recommended because I said, you know, if we get these sorts of cameras in, we can make the production look a lot more professional. These microphones that we can get that can make it sound a lot more professional. So literally over the space of a few months, we started to make the, the production look a lot more and sound a lot more like big time and, and things like that. So we did that. Uh, I, and I was pretty much hands-on with that for a long time. And then the big thing came was when we did a live uh, pay-per-view show from Preston. It was broadcast live. 
and I was sort of running that and I was, the, I was the director for that. So I was sat there sort of giving everybody the directions and telling the camera people where to be to get the shots and sort of liaising with the wrestlers about where the cameras were so that they could do the right moves to the right camera and stuff. It was amazing. Honestly, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. And then on the back of that was then uh, Kenny McIntosh, who who's obviously up there with the Inside the Ropes crew. He started that off as a like a weekly wrestling podcast, and then he started to grow his own business to, to start of doing tours and shows where they brought wrestlers over from America to the UK to do tours, just like speaking on stage about their experiences and things like that. So kind of like live podcasts in a way, but it was also a way for fans to meet them and take their photo with them and have stuff signed and stuff. So it was really cool. And that started in Glasgow as well. So there's Kenny McIntosh and there's Ollie Osatian who, who sort of like head that up. And they'd seen my work that I've been doing in, with this pr promoter and things like that. And, and again, things didn't work out there in the long run. Uh, because the promotion just wasn't sort of doing, you know, it wasn't as as popular as it as it could have been, and, and the British wrestling bubble burst a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I I then was asked to sort of get involved with Inside the Ropes as part of their crew, sort of doing cameras and 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 sort of helping produce their shows. And I've been working for them ever since. That's been about three years in four years in total. I mean, we'll not count last year because that was a complete write off and we didn't do any shows, obviously. So about four years in total. And yeah, I've just been doing that ever since, and it's awesome. You know, we get to we get to bring people over, and the, the the joy for me is not only working with these people that you grew up watching, but it's seeing fans the look on their faces when they get to meet their heroes and they get to sit on stage and hear them tell their stories and things. That for me is is where the enjoyment comes because I love that because I'm a fan. I'm still a fan myself. You know, I work in the industry, but I love seeing the reaction of people when we've put on that show and and they've come out for a good night they've spent some money they've had a few drinks and they've had a good time and we've obviously helped them do that so that's awesome that is awesome that's absolutely amazing I, I, no one can see but my face just lit up hearing you talk yeah. about, <laughs> like, about the whole thing um, and I'm pretty sure that we've spoken about this when we first started chatting on Twitter ago but are you not like a Leo like you're so I am yeah and you were just clearly thriving with the yeah I've put all this together and this is just <laughs> see it you were loving it and that sort of you do this you'll do this well and it just that totally manifests and um, it is that thing I think especially when it's something that I think if you're in a very good position that your hobby then can become part of your job that's a really uh really lifting thing and obviously you being so passionate as a child about wrestling and getting into it and then doing stuff like this really you would have been thriving so um I think that's a great thing. And and just hearing how it blossomed from that is so interesting. And I obviously knew about this because you did the My Passion Keeps Me Well thing that I did with the CF Trust. Yeah. Brings me on nicely to that. So, you know, how I know how I got involved with that, but I'd love to know how you got involved and what that was like as someone with CF to get on and talk about what you did. What was that like? It was really cool because um, I'd, I'd been trying to do stuff with the CF Trust for a while in terms of like helping raise awareness and mm. just, t you know, telling people's stories and stuff. And I'd got involved with a guy called Ben Mudge, who was who's a personal trainer with CF and his story is incredible. Like you've got this guy who's sort of he's 30 and he's a bodybuilder and he looks like you would not know he had CF looking at him. This guy is like. I mean, I'm a straight male, but this guy, oh, you know what I mean? He's one of like, he's got this amazing body. He's got this amazing sort of look and he's just awesome. And he's an inspiration like to everybody would see after the stuff that he's overcome and he's helped people's lives. He's helped make people's lives better in terms of his fitness regimes and stuff, not just people with CF, but people in general. 
And I was like, that's really cool. And if I can do something like that and help other people, that'd be amazing. So he's helped me in terms of like turn my life around a little bit. I mean, the lockdown's kind of undone a little bit of that, but <laughs> is, um, yeah, he helped me a lot learn about like nutrition and stuff like that. So I was like, well, he's helped me. So, and without his help, I wouldn't be feeling, mm. you know, as, as, as good as I currently feel and things mentally and physically. So I was kind of like, if I can do that with other people and help other people maybe make some decisions that I should have made a few years ago, then that would be really cool. And what it was, <clears throat> is about, I forget time, I'm never good with dates and time, so forgive me, but around three years ago, I had a, a feeding tube fitted where, like, so for years and years and years, I'd always struggle with my weight and keeping weight on and, and being unwell, and I was in and out of hospital. You you know all about this, of course you do. So I'd, I'd finally made the decision when I was 30 to have a feeding tube, finally, because you start thinking long-term, don't you? And you start thinking, because when you reach that golden number of 30, in the CF community, that's the number. And if you can get there, then you're doing okay. So I'd got there, and me and my wife were sort of looking at the future and, and planning a family and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it sounds really wrong, but when you get to that age, you can't, you do start counting down a little bit, and you start thinking, like, is this it? And every little infection you get is like, is, is this it now? Is this, is this where it all starts to go downhill? So my weight had always been struggling. And people, dietitians at the hospital had been telling me for years and years and years, you know, you really should consider this. When you're a teenager, you're like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, I'll do what I need to do. And nobody can tell me otherwise. But I got to 30 and I started thinking a bit more maturely. And I was like, well, you know, maybe that is the right decision to make. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't work, I can always have it taken out. You know, it's not a permanent thing. So I finally agreed to do it. And one thing that sort of got the wheels in motion, to answer the question, by the way, I'm sorry, I ramble on a little bit, but to answer the question, like I'd had the feeding tube, right, and I'd had it fitted, and within weeks, it changed my life, it turned things around completely, like I'd started gaining weight visually as well as like you could see the weight that was being put on, and I started feeling amazing, so one night, I think I was just high on drugs when I wrote this because of the pain meds and stuff, and I just wrote this long post on the CF Facebook page about how the decision had changed my life and, and, and all that kind of stuff and how much better I felt. And I just kind of made, I guess you could call it a plea to other people with CF. Like if you're on the fence about this, this is, at least for me personally, this is my experience of it and it's changed my life and it's improved my life drastically. And it was just kind of encouraging people who were on the fence, you know, you, you should give this a go because, if it, again, if it doesn't work, you can always go back to how things were. And that post got shared, like, quite a bit within the CF community. And I think somebody at the CF Trust must have just seen it or come across it because I got a message from the, one of the, the CF youth officers who reached out to me and said, you know, we're doing this thing about CF and sort of getting people to raise awareness and tell their story and, and things like that. And I think they'd seen some of the wrestling work that I'd been doing as well mm. uh, and some of the stuff that I'd been talking about. So they just asked me if they, if, if they wanted, if I wanted to get involved in this Passion Keeps Me Well project. And mm. Marcel Reynard reached out to me as well, who was the camera operator. What a lovely fellow he is. He's an incredible guy. And sort of the wheels just set in motion from there. You know, I, I went down to London on the train, which was cool. And I'd never been to London on my own before. Like, I've been with people and friends and family and, and the crew when we've done tours and stuff, but I'd never been on my own. So that was an interesting experience. And then I got there, and it was just awesome, like, you know, getting to sit down with Marcel, who's such a talented person. I mean, he doesn't work with the CF Trust anymore, but he was so talented in terms of, like, getting the right camera shots and the lighting and everything. He was great. 
but we both had that similar background, so we bounced off each other anyway. But yeah, that, that project was really awesome. And, and once that got released, that helped a lot of people. And again, just people started messaging me and reached out to me and, you know, were saying, you know, thanks for sharing your story. It was really cool. And so, yeah, and, and I want to do more of that. Like, I want to help people and I want to do a lot more. And that's, again, I'm sorry for plugging my Twitch again, but when I do my Twitch shows on a Sunday, people can donate to the Twitch to support the channel and things like that. But I'm actually going to be donating a portion of of what we what we get through the Twitch channel to the CF Trust. So that's going to be cool. Uh, some of it's going to go to the, the Trust and some of it's going to go to the, the local Manchester CF Ward. So everything that I do is, is kind of about giving back. Because if it, let's face it, if it wasn't for the CF Trust and the amazing work that they do, and the hospitals and the NHS and the amazing work that they do, mm. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. So I always think that I want to give back and help people that help me. Wow. And you know, it's so interesting you saying that because when I won my first ever award as an artist last summer, one of the things I actually did was dedicate the post to the NHS. It was to anyone that worked in the NHS because they kept me here. That was how I had won an award. Um, there's a couple of things I want to talk about there that I need to unpack. So one, yeah. thank you so much for sharing all that and plug away because this is what we're here for. You know, I want you to plug it and promote your stuff. That's beautiful that you want to donate to CF Trust from Sundays. Now, it's funny with the Ben Mudge stuff because I remember seeing this video and going, OMG, it's Thor. And <laughs> yeah, it wasn't Thor. Is it Chris Hemsworth or Liam Hemsworth that plays Thor? I can never add Chris, Chris Hemsworth, yeah. And I went, oh my God, it's not. Well, he looks like him. He really does. And then when it was, he had CF, I went, what? And I was like, yeah. I did not anticipate this. And like you said, you know, I obviously am gay and went, oh my God, I would. <laughs> <laughs> But then I'm I, not gay, and I said that. I and I went, oh my god, he's <laughs> actually got CF, and and I ended up. I think he had done. Did he not do a podcast interview with you? And I actually listened. He did. To that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. And I listened to it because you shared it, and I went, wow, he is such a great guy, and I could hear how he had helped you. So it's lovely that you mentioned him and a shout out to him. But it's also lovely because one thing we need to just remind ourselves is you've probably done that for someone else who's out talking about you, like in a good way. Someone from the CF Trust might be saying, I watched this Dean do their My Passion Keeps Well video and he has talked about wrestling and maybe I could do this. So we're all doing that for everyone. Um, and I think yeah. lovely, fully rounded. It's interesting with the My Passion Keeps Well thing because when I did it, um, it was because I'd done my documentary on BBC, they'd reached out and said, we love this. We want you to come and do this thing. And I was like, oh, I'd love to, that'd be amazing. Mm -hmm. Marcel, a gem, love him so much. Um, so it was really good to do that. And I was in London with my friend. It was the one thing I agreed to do out of drag because I'd said to them, did they want me to do mine in drag? And they said, well, you can, it's up to you, but it'd be maybe quite nice if you did it out of drag for a change. And I said, you know what, actually it would be because no one gets to see me out of drag. So this would create a different raw dynamic to it. And I thought, I thought you were going to do, I thought you were going to do it in and out of drag. So I thought there was going to be a bit of you and then a bit of you in drag, which would have been cool. But but like you say, it's more. I think it's more impactful if it's if it's the real you and, and the, the 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 person behind the the makeup and the drag. And so that's like you say, if nobody ever gets to see you mm -hmm. not in drag, then that's kind of like opening the door and shedding a bit of light on that. So yeah, it was it was. I I really appreciated how that was done. Mm, and so did I. And I, I knew that they briefly used a little bit of footage of me in drag that they'd filmed in summer for something separate. But I was like, I actually want people to see who I am at a drag. I think that'll help me. And it really did help people um, for 
feedback that I got. But I remember it was such a lovely thing that when you'd put yours out, I'd retweeted it. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. And I remember you'd actually tweeted being like, Jordy is a drag queen. They've got CF. This is unreal. And I was like, oh, that is so lovely. Like to show that support. And I feel like in the CF community, someone you should actually listen to that was on Afternoon Delight for season two, if you've not, was Martin O'Brien, who mm. did a piece. He's a performance artist for CF. And he did a piece all about turning 30. And it was showing right, okay. the mortality yeah, yeah. of turning 30. And I totally get what you mean. And I was feeling like that when I was going for the transplant assessments that I was starting to kind of go, right, well, time to fizzle out now because potentially this is happening. So I totally relate that at 30, when statistically you kind of have that in your head, um, it, it could be transferred like that. So yeah, totally, totally get you. Um, which brings me on to my next question, right? The pandemic has been an absolute stutter, very difficult. But I think one thing that really came out of the pandemic that actually was really useful and quite changed a lot of lives was Calf Duo. Now, yeah. I'd really good day in season one, an actor um, in Gatwick who's uh, got CF. And I had Martin O'Brien, former artist, and now I've got you who works in wrestling and TV. I have interviewed all of them on Calf Show. I would love to hear about your experiences of Calf Show. Wow, I mean, where do I start with that? It's just, God, I suppose it's really hard to relay this because I guess there's only really going to be people who are on Calf Trio that can relate to this. But it's just such an incredible feeling like, Every single day where I wake up and I'm not coughing my guts up and spewing up in the toilet for 20 minutes, I really appreciate that. And it's not lost on me how lucky I've been. And I always say that throughout my entire life, I've always been extremely lucky in terms of like the time period that I was born in, the country that I was born in, because we have the NHS and the opportunities that I've had. I, I almost feel like, like I'm, if there was... I don't know, it's not like somebody's looking out for me or anything like that, because I'm, I'm not a religious person or anything like that, but I always think that, that stuff happens for a reason, and I was born in a time where medication was getting better, and the thing is with me is, as I was growing up with CF, things was, you know, always continuously getting better, and the treatment was improving, and, and I always feel like, just as I needed it, no matter what period of life that I've been in, whenever I've needed it the most, something's come along and helped me out, whether that's the decision to, to have the feeding tube or new medication, IVs, and then calf trio was the, was the latest thing. It's like, you know, we were campaigning for that for years and years and years. You know, a lot of people in the CF community were campaigning for that. A lot of parents were campaigning for that. And it just looked like we were never going to get it because of the cost of the drug and the sort of logistics behind getting it all sorted. And then it just seemed to happen so quickly. Like the Daily Express and, and Chris Riches were, were sort of doing this campaign in the paper to sort of raise awareness and get the government to fund this drug and what happened the breakthrough was when they funded Orkambi for for kids and 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 uh Cali Deco for kids and I was never sort of eligible for that drug due to my, the type of CF that I have mm -hmm. but then obviously when CAF trio came about and the research about that and the trials and, and how promising those trials were I mean realistically the, the people at my hospital were always saying look this is this is potentially five six seven years away and when you're 30 years old at the time, I mean, I was 31 at this point, mm -hmm. you, you're kind of like, mm, you know, okay, it'd be nice, but let's not, let's not sort of rely on that. But don't get me wrong, it's amazing. Like, even if, even if it didn't work out for me, the fact that that drug's there and can help so many other people, like you're talking thousands and thousands of people that this is helping. And that's incredible. So when that news came, because it just... 
I don't know about you, but like this seemed to happen so quickly, right? It was kind of like, no, 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 the funding's not there, the funding's not there. And then all of a sudden, sort of last September, there was this thing that was posted. It was, it was leaked by some journalist that was like sensational news as, as NHS England are, are poised to authorise this drug. And this was in, it might have been May or June last year. Mm -hmm. And within September, it was in my hands. Like that's how quick it was from being funded to the people that were eligible being contacted and then having the drug. After five years of people campaigning and, and obviously tragically all the lives that were lost along the way and people that, that unfortunately won't, won't get to see this. To then have that was just incredible. And within days of taking it, like I started to feel so much better. Like I've always counted myself as really lucky anyway to, to, to have been in the position that I am health-wise and having CF because there's so many people that are worse off than I am. Like there's people on oxygen and there's people in wheelchairs and there's people that are in and out of hospital every month or so. So I've always been quote unquote relatively healthy with my CF. I've had issues and I've had complications along the way as we all have, but I've always considered myself quite lucky. And this is just the next step and that next evolution of that. And I always think, why me? Why, have I, why am I the one that's been really lucky and have had the life that I've had and then being able to be lucky enough to get CAF Trio? I'll never know the answer to that question, but it's, it's almost like, as I've been growing up, the medication's getting better. And just the fact that I've got CAF Trio now, I mean, just within days of taking it, like I wasn't coughing anymore. The first day that I took it, I felt quite ill because like my, my body had like this, this sort of purge of all the crap and all the shite that came out of me. And I was like, wow this is bad but after about two or three days that first day where i woke up and i didn't cough i was like whoa what so this is what normal feels like mm. and it's quite weird because as i just said i've always considered myself lucky but about a week or two into having calf trio i was like whoa i really was ill like you don't realize until you feel this way how ill you felt beforehand because if you'd asked me before calf trio how are you i would have said i'm all right actually you know i'm doing okay when you feel this way and you don't feel like that anymore, you're like, Jesus, I really was ill. Like I really did need that drug. Like I was coughing, I was wheezing. When I coughed, I had a, a whistle sound, like I'd swallowed a dog chew because my airways were really struggling up there. And it, you know, it's really bad, but just within weeks, all that went away. And you might've noticed, I haven't coughed in this entire conversation that we've had. Mm. Whereas before Caftrio, we might have had to stop recording a couple of times for me to have a coughing fit. And I haven't done that. And Caftrio has been so amazing for me and such a life-changing thing that I don't even have my feeding tube anymore. That's how much of a miracle drug it's been for me. All that, all that mental anguish that I went through of having the feeding tube and the pain that I went through of having it, and then the work that I had to put in to get my weight to this point, Caftrio has sort of saved me from having to do that because... I'm not on the feeding tube anymore, but I'm still gaining weight steadily, maybe a bit too much, but I'm keeping the weight on as well and not having that feeding tube. And that's been the biggest and best thing. And then for my daughter to come along as well at that same time, it's just been an, an incredible experience. Like this last year, yes, the lockdown's awful and terrible and, and a lot of people have, have died and had issues. For me personally, it's been an interesting experience. Like, of course, I would love to have been able to go out and do a lot of cool stuff and go on tour and see friends and family. But for the experience that I've had over the last 12 months in having Caf Trio and, and that change in my life, it's just been, it's incredible. I really can't put it into words. Incredible is the only word that I can think of. It absolutely is. And the other thing about Caf Trio is, like, again, I, 
you, you can probably relate to this, but when you have CF, and this, this was one of the, the, the issues that I had with my mental health for years was kind of like, going to uni, well, what's the point? I'm not gonna live long enough. Why, you know, get a career, well, why? You know, I, I, I struggled with that for a long time. You know, what's the point in getting a career if you're not gonna live long enough to, to sort of see that out? And what's the point in going to uni for five years when five years in CF terms is like 20 years in real terms, and that's a long time. Those are the kind of thoughts that I had. My wife helped me change that mentality because she used to always say to me, well, you know, you could go out tomorrow and get hit by a bus anyway and it won't matter. So what's the point? And, you know, why would you have that? Because if you don't do it and something does come along CF-wise, you'll, you'll regret not doing it. You'll regret having that issue. And unfortunately, a lot of people with CF are experiencing that. You know, they never went to uni and they never went to college because they didn't think there was much point. Now they've got CAF Trio. It's given them this new lease of life. A lot of people with CF are like, shit, I haven't done anything. Oh no, <laughs> like fuck, what do I do now? So, I mean, it's a very selfish thing to say that, like, CAF is a miracle drug, but like, it genuinely has put people in that position of like, oh fuck, <laughs> I wasn't expecting this extra 30 years I might now get. <laughs> Not selfish at all, by the way. So I've been writing a piece that debuts next week and it's for the Scottish Mental Health Arts Festival. And half of it is about the transformative ways CAF changed the CF. And I totally, everything you've said, I've already written in a script based on mine and Raylene Goody's experiences. So I totally relate to you. Yeah. There was actually, I know what you're saying about this sort of why am I lucky? Because I was really unfortunate that when I got put on Capture, I excelled on it, like completely. I haven't coughed once in this interview, apart from clearing my throat, but that'll be the drinking from the weekend. Um, yep. I have not had to feed since September. Like, I remember when you tweeted you were getting yours removed, and I was like, my team are being a bit precautionate with me because I've had it since I was eight. So, you know, they're very much, like, wanting to know what I'd be like if I got an infection, if I would still need it. Yeah. But then we're debating that a year on from September this year, we might actually look at getting rid of it. And these are things that I would never in my head have imagined. But when I obviously excelled on it, I was really unfortunate that one of my best friends died of CF, um, and she was on it. And it just came too late for her. Like she just didn't yeah. sell, she passed the point. So I totally relate on that whole, why me? But I, I have to say, you know, the only answer I could ever give that question to myself when I sat and thought that was, well, the answer is just to live and to be here because I can be. And it's hard because you think, well, like, you know, why should I be here? But you have to just stay here and, and live your life. It's a hard one. And I totally relate. And in terms of CF, like, you know, growing up, like I talked to Martin O'Brien about this, but I'm very much one of the last people that grew up around other people with CF before cross-infection became a thing. So yeah. thinking about the days where cross-infection was a thing and you wasn't a thing and you could see people and then it became a thing, you know, this is a revolution for us. Like, this has changed, yeah. And when you talk about this pandemic saying, you know, the pandemic's been hard, like, I actually think a lot of people maybe are now have had to live the way we've lived our whole lives with cross-infection. Yeah they'll actually realize that we've had to with CF go, I can't be near them. Like, you know, my friends would have a cold and I'd be like, what if I see them and they put me in hospital? Yeah. I mean, that was my... That's what I mean. The pandemic's not been as hard for me as it, or, or for you, I, I would guess, as it, has, it has been for everybody else. Because like you say, we've kind of had to live like that since day one. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, the, the one thing about CAF Trio that, that did make me sad, you, you touched on it there about your friend. There was this kid called Aiden. And he was like waiting for weeks and weeks and weeks to get this drug. And his, his parents were campaigning for him. And I think he was only like eight or nine or something like that. I might be getting his age wrong, but he was very, very young. And the breakthrough came like he got the drug on compassionate use. 
but he died the next day. Like his family got notified about being able to get the drug and they were over the moon. And then the, the poor lad died the next day and that broke me. That really broke me. Cause I'm like, I'm sat there and I'm 32 years old and I'm like, what's he done? You know, what has he done to deserve that? Like why him and not me? You know, I, I struggled with that and I was in tears. Like I just couldn't bear it. I was like, why? Why is that so cruel? Why does this poor lad who's got his entire life ahead of him not get those same opportunities that I'm going to get, you know? I totally, it just wasn't fair. I totally relate to you on that. Like, that was what I thought when my friend had died. I thought she had so much planned and, and you know, it, it was a difficult one. But like I said, obviously, you know, we're, we're still here living and that those are the moments we cherish, but it has been a rocky road. I think anyone that thinks oh, you've got calf show now, everything's back to normal. Like, no, it's been a wrong... No, 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 no. And it's, like, funny, the last point on this, actually, I'll add, is that my psychologist, who had been there for six... Uh, no, seven years at my CF unit, left at Christmas, and I'd said to her, why are you leaving? And she said to me, well, CF is changing now. I've got people coming and complaining about weight gain. And... Yeah. Or it was about lung transplant. And I went, right. And she went, and I'm probably need to leave so someone else can come in and say right fresh pair of eyes fresh pair of ears so what's going on CF because it's changing and I thought yeah actually very accurate these are things I didn't think about and and yeah it's been such an interesting experience and it, you can't describe it but without people understanding I guess but with the first two weeks I just remember what you said there that I was in the hospital when I was on it I cleared my throat because it was itchy I brought up all this mucus easily that it would have taken me months of physio to bring up and I thought yeah whoa where did that come from and it was like and within two weeks transformed it was so interesting um so yeah so it's been such a hard pandemic for a lot of people's mental health you know you've also had a baby to look after what's the last 14 months been like how have you managed to cope struggle it's been tough it has been really tough i'm uh, not gonna lie i mean having a baby is a struggle anyway like you know with the day-to-day -day stuff that you've got to do but um, I mean, at the, the, for the first six months of her life, I still had the feeding tube as well. So that was a difficult adjustment to sort of still keep up with that. Um, but then when I got Caftrio, I never used it again. So, so sort of from September, I hadn't used my feeding tube at all. And again, that was part of the decision of having it removed because she kept kicking it. Like when she got to that age where she could move around and stuff and sort of grab, she, so she kept grabbing the site and kicking me and the pain, I was bleeding from it. And it just became so much hassle. Yeah. And it was one of those conversations with my dad that was kind of like look let's just take it out at least I had the conversation it was like let's just take it out if things go wrong we can always get it put back in in a couple more years if we need to but this is causing me so much hassle and I need to get rid of it but anyway in terms of the pandemic yeah it was really weird because like you've said it's been tough for a lot of people I mean dare I say I've, I've, I've enjoyed it a little bit in terms of I mean I've not hate I've hated the shielding oh my god the shielding oh, yeah. was awful I've been stuck in this I mean we you know we're quite lucky in the sense that I mean I live with my my wife and my daughter but we also live with with um my my mother and father-in-law but we're quite lucky in the sense that we have our own living space mm -hmm. so we kind of feel like we have our own house but it's just been so difficult with the shielding and everything and not being able to go anywhere and even when things got relaxed I was a little bit more cautious because of our daughter and not wanting to put her at risk so when when things sort of relaxed a little bit last year you know we still stuck to the rules and we still shielded and we didn't really go anywhere so that that bit's been tough mm -hmm. however getting to spend the first 10 months of my daughter's life every single day with her has been incredible like it really has like working from home and just going downstairs and seeing her after work and 
I feel really lucky to have that experience because not everybody gets that. That's the one good thing that's come out of the pandemic in terms of like spending it. And this, my wife will tell you the same because, you know, they have, you know, women have maternity leave for, for like nearly a year and then they go back to work. My wife's still at home. Like she's, she's been furloughed from work. So she's still getting every single day with our daughter. And, and that experience has just been incredible, you know? Amazing. Yeah. That's honestly, that's, I think that's beautiful. I think that's lovely. I think those are the sort of moments you will cherish long-term, like definitely. Um, that's brilliant. So tell me then, in your career, what to this day is the favourite thing you've done with your work? If you could pick one. Or if you can't pick one, because a lot of people go, just one, you know, a top, top three. I think uh, definitely doing that live pay-per-view was a hell of an experience. Like, I never thought I'd ever get to do that, like it wasn't a massive show in the grand scheme of things. Like it didn't change the world or anything like that. But to me, that was a big deal. Like if you'd have told me at seven years old, watching people on TV, like that I'd be directing a couple of them on this big show, as, as well as some pretty big British stars as well, who aren't, some of them are now in WWE. But to be, to have that opportunity to basically put a wrestling show together and air it live was incredible. That That's never going to be lost on me. But even just the, the thing about working on tour, like some people, I guess maybe maybe part of having CF has done this to me where I I always I appreciate things more. Like I, I, I like to try and live in the moment. It drives my wife up the wall. Like when we go traveling and things like that, I like to sit there and like, for example, we go to New York and I'm just like, whoa, this is amazing. I've been three times, but every time I go, it's like, this is incredible. And I'll go and take photos with my camera, but sometimes I'll just admire the view. My wife is like, we've seen it now, let's go somewhere else. And I'm like, there's the Statue of Liberty. How amazing is that? So I like to take things in. And um, so to get to my point, it's kind of like where when I've done things like working on tour and some, you know, a lot of people take it for granted or they just get used to it and it becomes a part of them. It still blows me away that I get to do things like sit in a taxi with Mick Foley and, you know, ride on a train with, with Brett the Hitman Heart. It's just like what I, I get to do that and I get to see them before the show and after the show and go out for food with them and just generally talk to them like they're normal people. They are normal people, but when you grow up watching them, they just they, they are these larger than life stars and these these incredibly famous people. Um, but to just, just sort of like get to know them and have them follow me on Twitter and, and message me and ask me how I'm getting on and how I'm doing, it's, re it's so surreal. So doing that, like going on tour with, with people like Bret Hart and... Getting to work with The Undertaker was was a big deal. Like, getting to do that was awesome because he's my all-time favourite. My all-time favourite. Yeah. And when Kenny told me that we were getting him for, for a show, I was just like, yeah. I, no matter what, like, work-wise, whatever, I'm going to be on that tour and there's nothing that's going to change that. So meeting him was incredible. <laughs> and I met him and I had my photo with him and I introduced myself and I swear to God, I just went up to the green room and I cried for like five minutes because <laughs> our photographer, so our photographer is amazing. He has, this all, he has this awesome equipment where once you've had your photo taken with the person, it's instantly printed off and it's there in your hand. So he signed it and everything. And I just couldn't believe it. I just got caught up in that moment and I'm sat there on this chair in tears looking at this photo and I'm like, how has this become my life? Like, how have, how have I been able to do this and have these opportunities to work with these amazing people? And even if I never do it again, like if something happens with this pandemic and it never ends or whatever, 
I've had that experience and that's amazing and nothing's ever going to take that away from me. And I mean, I want to do more of it. Like I want to do this as a, as a full-time job and I do social media for the company now. And we have, we've had to obviously adapt our business model because of the pandemic. So we can't do tours. So we've had to launch a, a website and a magazine. So like we've launched a print magazine and we've launched the Twitch. So, you know, we're hoping to grow those sides of the business as, as we can, as we hopefully do tours sort of late this year, next year. Mm. It's just been like, I can't, honestly, I know it's such a cliche, but I, I can't name specific highlights. I mean, like I said, the, the running that show was one, meeting The Undertaker and meeting my heroes in general is another. Mm. It's just awesome that I get to have those opportunities. And it's, as I say, it's not lost on me. I always, I always take time to take it in and mm. appreciate what I'm doing and at the time and, and the, mm. the, the, the look that I've had. Even on tours, like I say, when we finish a show at night, and we go for a drink. I always take a minute to sit there and just tell myself, like, this is awesome that you get to do this and you should appreciate it. Because, you know, because some people can do that. They get they get a bit above themselves and it becomes the norm and they're like, and they get a bit of an ego. And mm -hmm. I, I've tried not to do that because I'm still, I mean, I have imposter syndrome anyway. So sometimes I'm kind of like, I don't belong here. This is, <laughs> I should not be doing this. You know what I mean? So there's a part of that too. But it's also like, this could end tomorrow, you know? This could all go away tomorrow. My health could drastically change overnight. You know, that's how things are. But yeah. that's why I always try and appreciate everything and take each day as it comes. It's such a cliche, but I really do. I love a cliche. And the thing is, like, when it comes to the pandemic, you know, the, one of the lessons was nothing lasts forever for a lot of people. So yeah. I totally empathize with that. And it's funny because you say your wife obviously probably finds it a little bit annoying on holiday when she's like, come on, we've seen this. And you're like, but I want to take it in. But I totally get yeah. you. The thing is, like, in mindfulness, they say, you know, taking that minute to just take things in really helps your mental health. So I think it's a great outlook to have. And The Undertaker, I remember, I think he was the one that had the legacy for never losing a WrestleMania match. Yeah. Don't, it's, uh, the wound is still fresh. Stop, don't, don't even go there. <laughs> but, I'm still not over it. But he had a legacy, and I just think that I totally understand that moment. I think the younger you, as a child, would probably never believe in a way... Oh these things would happen for me one of the things I'd love to ask is you know what advice would you give to young people maybe that have CF that things have been tough and they're thinking oh do I want to do this and they're in a bad mindset because you know mental health just takes over your life what would you kind of say to them if they want to pursue their dreams you'll regret it if you don't because like I mean to be honest with you like it's not something that I really pursued to be perfectly honest with you it just happened like I was I've been very very lucky like mm -hmm. yes I made the decision to go to uni but I never in a million years thought that I'd end up working in wrestling off the back of it. I just assumed that I'd end up working in TV. And I've, I've been lucky to do some of that too. Mm. Like, you know, I've, I've done a lot of live sport and I've had some work broadcast on TV. And that was kind of the avenue that I wanted to go down. I never in a million years imagined that it'd take me to, to working in wrestling. Now, it doesn't pay as much as what working in TV would, obviously. But it does mentally and in terms of the memories and what it means to me personally that's bigger than being paid a massive amount of money a week for a job that I don't enjoy. So I, if anybody's sort of thinking about what their dreams are and what they want to do, especially from a CF side of things, it sounds really bad to say this. And I almost, maybe I'm going to regret saying it after I've said it, but if there was ever a time to have CF, if there was ever a good time to have CF, I know that sounds really bad, but if there was ever a quote unquote good time to have CF, it's now because of the, the advancements in treatment that have been made, and the outlook that everybody has and the opportunities that people have had. There's, what makes me happy is that there's a lot of kids now, especially when they turn 12 and they become eligible for CAF Trio, they're not going to have to go through some of the stuff that we've had to go through. Like, obviously, they're still going to have the odd 
hospital admission and flare-ups and things like that. But some of the downright stuff where we felt seriously ill, touch wood, they'll never have to experience that. And my, mind, the, the, my thought process on that is, CAF Trio is going to do so much for them that they're not going to have that decline at the rate that, that some of us have had. So their lungs are going to be healthier for a lot longer, which means they're going to live longer, which means they're going to live long enough to see the next phase of CF treatment come in and, and sort of prolong that even more. So that's why I say it, if there is a good time to have CF, it, it, it is now because the opportunities and the outlook that people have got now is way better than what we had. And we've been lucky in terms of being able to get CAF trio and that change in our lives. I, I mean, I wouldn't even want to put a number on, on how long extra CAF trio has given me because we don't know what's around the corner, but it certainly has. It has extended my life. I know it has. Because mm -hmm. I know how I felt a year ago before having it. I can't imagine how I would feel now without it. And I'm sure I would have had at least one or two more hospital admissions since then. And I haven't had any. Like, I've not been admitted to hospital for nearly two years now. Wow. So I've been really lucky. And, but again, just to answer the question, the advice that I would give to kids or anybody on the, you know, looking about pursuing, the, pursuing their dreams, it, it just really is just go for it. Because at the end of the day, and this is what my wife used to say to me, is like, if you don't do it, what's the worst that happens? Well, you're in the same position. You haven't done it. Well, you're in the position that you are now. You, haven't, you still haven't done it. You've not done it now. 10 years, you'll be in the same position because you still haven't done it. Mm -hmm. But if you do go for it and you do go for it and, and you do pursue those dreams, two things can happen. One, you pursue it and it works out and it's all amazing and you've, and you've achieved your dreams and you've done everything you ever dreamed of. Well, three things. The second thing that can happen is you're still progressing and it takes a, li a little bit longer than you thought it would but the new medication has given you that extra time that you wouldn't normally have. Or the third thing that happens is you try it, you fall on your ass, but you're still no worse off than what you are now because at least you've tried it. That's what I would say. I think that there's a fear of people that say, you know, they have this fear of failure. Mm. And I have that sometimes, I still do. But I always try and tell myself that if, if you don't do it, you're no worse off. Like, you know, you just didn't do it, that's fine. But you still like, like, like you know, if you don't, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a, of a similar analogy and, I, and I'm struggling to find one, but, but it's the same thing. Like if, if, yeah, if you don't go, for, like if I don't go and, if I don't go and buy a new car, well, I'll not have a new car, that's fine. Mm. But I'm still no worse off now than what I would be. And that's, that's it about, about going for your dreams. You can do it and you might change your life. If you don't, you're no worse off. Yeah, and it, your wife just sounds like a queen, by the way, shout out to her. She is. Like, <laughs> you know, you fall on your arse, well, you'll pick yourself back up again. That's a, you will fall, but you will pick yourself back up again. And I totally understand what you're saying. And I don't think you need to regret that at all, because I do think you're totally right. I think there's this mentality sometimes that you don't need to jinx things. Like, I get very worried about jinxing. Yeah. But it's been long enough now that I've not been in hospital since February last year. And I was in hospital. Every, and I was in hospital every five weeks for that. So this is a, a whirlwind for me. And now it feels kind of real, actually, that when the pandemic twice was paused summer and now now for Scotland here that it's things are opening I'm like seeing people and I'm not getting colds and I'm thinking oh I'm actually well I had two colds last year and a bit and I was ill Freddy do you know what I mean like that's it where you'd have been ill for like two weeks beforehand yeah I would have been ill and got an infection uh, so I totally think so and you're totally right because I think this is giving a lot of people that I mean Christ if this is the drug now imagine what's gonna happen in 10 years time exactly Oops. exactly yeah and I think the theme for that really has been hope, which brings me on to literally the last question before we round off with our quote that we end each episode with. 
Um, we are looking at hope in season three of Afternoon Delight. We did how the pandemic affected everyone's work in season one. Season two was on gratitude and what 2020 taught us. And for season three, we are looking at one moment of hope that things weren't great and that hope got you through it. And I would love for you to share your answer. Yeah, um, I haven't touched on this that much, but just the sort of time that me and my wife were going through IVF, like we went through IVF treatment for five years. It was a long five years. And it just seemed at times that we were never gonna get through it and it was never gonna happen for us. We had a couple of failures. We had a, we had a miscarriage a couple of years ago at Christmas and that was awful. I've never felt as low and as depressed as I have in my life at that point. And it's not even just the fact that you fail at that time, because that's devastating enough. It's the, and you think, God, okay, this isn't happening. And you go through, it, it's, it's that, and anybody that's ever had a miscarriage will know this. It's that elation that you have of having that successful result. And then you start thinking about things and how your life's going to change. And, mm. and, then slow, and then overnight, it it's all gets taken away from you. And, and, and it's devastating because you then, you think, well, what now, you know, what, what happens now? Um, and one of the worst things about that is in that entire period is not like when you don't have something like CF that causes that issue. Well, it's, it's really devastating. I mean, the miscarriage is devastating. It really is. It's so awful and it's so mentally destroying. And I had to take a lot of time off work because of it because I just couldn't cope. Uh, my wife was the same. She really struggled with it because, you know, we were going to be parents and then we weren't going to be parents anymore. The difference with CF and, and people that have to go through IVF treatment is that's a lot of time that you're never going to get back. Whereas people that can conceive naturally, although a miscarriage is absolutely devastating and it is probably one of the worst things in the world that can happen, you can more or less try again straight away. And you might get lucky and it might happen for you, you might not but at least you can go through that normal process. With IVF, that, that's not the case. You're talking months and months and months, and it's not only just the experience that you're currently going through. It's all that time that you then have to go back to square one and start from the very beginning again. And you know everything that you've gone through to get to the point that you're at now. All the consultations that you've had, all the treatment that you have to go through, the surgery that you have to have, both you and your wife. Everything that you've got to go through, you have to go through all over again. And that means waiting to find out if the surgery has been successful, waiting to see if your eggs have matured, waiting to see if things are going as they are expected in the lab. All of those are separate mentally challenging parts of the process that could go wrong still. And at each and, at each and every stage of that, if it goes wrong, you're then again back to square one. So we had all of that in that entire five years. But what got us through and the hope that got us through was just knowing that that was what we really, really wanted to do. And a lot of families and, and potential parents can get split apart by this. IVF is a mentally grueling thing for both people, but it taught us to stick together no matter what. We were a team and we were both going through this. So whatever I was feeling, I knew that Claire was feeling too. Mm. Probably worse because she's the one that's had, had that in her body and had to go through that. Whereas I've had to experience that as a potential father, she's had to go through it physically. And that's awful. But what got us through was knowing that it was something that we both wanted. Because IVF can, can sort of change people's minds and, and all that kind of stuff. But we just we knew that no matter what, this is what we wanted. And we were going to do whatever it took. And if we went through the whole process, it didn't work out, fine, we would live with that. But we were never going to give up. 
And then obviously last, well, it'll be two years ago now, just before the lockdown, we got a successful uh, positive pregnancy result on our wedding anniversary. It was on our first wedding anniversary where we found out we were going to be parents, potentially. So we had to get all through that. And then Christmas came around again. And obviously it was, it was exactly a year ago previously that we'd had the miscarriage and all that kind of stuff had happened and it was really, really devastating. So that period of time was bringing back all those memories and, and it just so happened that the pattern was forming to it being the same time again. And we were just like, I don't know if I can go through that again. I really don't know if we can, if, if I personally can get through that one more time, knowing how, I, how bad I felt having experienced it the first time, it was like, can I physically and mentally get through that if it happens again? And on Christmas Eve, we had our 12-week scan and we found out that everything was going to be okay, at least at that point. You know, we got, we, we saw her heartbeat on the screen. I burst into tears because I'm just a very emotional person. <laughs> I'm the one that shows the emotion in our relationship. My wife will just be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, why? <laughs> What's the matter with you? But I'm an emotional person. So we had that and then, the best thing was being able to tell my mom on Christmas Eve because obviously the, the, the lockdown restrictions were, were sort of... Oh, no, this was before lockdown. Mm. So obviously we saw my parents at Christmas uh, and we told them that they were going to be grandparents. Um, and that was amazing. The one thing that, that miscarriage does to you, and it's really awful, is it makes you resent people. So when you have that failure, you then see other people that have got kids and then you just get like a sense of resentment and anger that goes through you. And you can't control that. Like I'm not a naturally angry person, mm -hmm. but you can't control it. So you start to think, well, why them? What have they done to deserve it? Why do I not get that? And it happened to my brother. My brother was, my brother found out he was going to be a dad after we'd had our miscarriage. And I just felt anger. Like he's my brother and I should have been, and I was happy for him. But inside I was like, that should have been me, you know? And, and I've always hate myself for feeling that way but I couldn't control it mm -hmm. but then we got through that lockdown came we got through our pregnancy and when you and again when you've been through something like a miscarriage it's not real until it's real like because every day you're thinking when's it going to go wrong because of the experience that you've had and you know what you looks like it's like I was just waiting for it to go wrong and I kept telling Claire I was like it's not real until she's in our hands until she's there and she's born and she's screaming and she's wrapped up in a blanket this is not real. And then obviously July 13th came and Claire went into labor and Adeline was born and it's just awesome. And, and I know that's a really long answer, but you know, the hope is what got us through that. Everything that we've been through, we just knew that if we, if we stuck together as a team, we rode the train together, the, the roller coaster, shall I say, together, the, all the ups and downs, the lows are low, really low, but the highs are high, like incredible. And at least when she's older and we can tell her the story of how she came to be, nobody can ever deny that she wasn't wanted. And that's the one thing that I'll be, be able to be proud to say. You know, sometimes you get parents that, for whatever reason, you know, it's not expected and they become parents and that's fine. And, and obviously I'm not saying that they don't love their kids. Of course they do, but it's different. It's a different thing. So for us, at least, you know, we, I, can, I can look Adeline in the eye when she's older and say, you know, we, <laughs> we went through some shit to get you. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It's kind of like there's, there's nobody is ever going to be able to tell me that she's not wanted and that we didn't try our very best for her. 
and I know that you will tell her how much she was wanted because it sounds like a beautiful moment of hope that she gave you in her life and you and your wife and and thank you for sharing that because that was so raw and beautiful and I would like to just say you know I totally understand when you're going through heartache grief that you will resent our people temporarily, not long-term, but temporarily. Yeah, yeah, it's not a permanent thing. It's just your instant gut feeling having had that experience. It's not like, I mean, I've got a niece and she's incredible. I love her to bits. But when I, at that time, I was just, just I still, it was still very, very fresh. It was only two months after our miscarriage and it was yeah. still very raw and very fresh. So in my mind, it was kind of like, I should have been the one giving my mum that news. And I still, like I said, I still hate myself to this day for feeling that way. It just, it was a natural chemical reaction in my brain. I couldn't control it. Yeah, I would say don't hate yourself though because you were hurting and it was a result of that and it just showed how much you wanted it and now you've got that beautiful baby and it, she's here and it's just such a brilliant story and thank you so much and this has been honestly one of the most heartwarming and inspiring interviews and I'm not saying that because I'm biased having seen it honestly <laughs> has been an absolute delight to have you. And we end every episode of Afternoon Delight with an inspiring quote. It could be a lyric, an affirmation. It could be a quote from yourself. But we always end with a quote, and I would love for you to share it before we sign off. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Um, I don't know. I'm not really a quotes type of person because I'm not very philosophical in that sense. Mm. I just, I'm, I'm a very in-the-moment kind of person. So I don't know. I, I almost want to give you something like really ridiculous, like when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And it's like when you've got, you know, try and make chicken salad out of chicken shit, something like that. I don't know, but I'm not, I'm, I'm really not a quote person. I mean, have you got one that you could share or? Um, I think we should go with the lemons one. I think that <laughs> it's never been used. It's never been. Has used. it not? No, <laughs> it's never been used, but I love it. And you know what? Like I have to say, with CF, I think, especially now with what you've mentioned earlier, like we are seizing the day, you know, Carpe Diem sees the day, and I think it really was apt, actually. So I love that that was very on the spot, but I think it worked brilliantly. So thank you so much for joining me, Dean. It's been an absolute delight. I've enjoyed it, yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate your time. Oh, what an absolute delightful interview of Afternoon Delight that was, everyone. So many things resonated with me and connected with me. As all of you obviously have heard, shared stories of being bullied for different reasons at school. It's totally relatable. I think that quote at the end, you know, most guests are aware of the quote and if they aren't, then I think it's quite funny to see what they give it last minute. And I just, I've always loved that expression, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Like, I've always loved that. Um, and that was a great apt one for us, especially since, you know, like yellow is the CF colour, uh, the CF trust. But genuinely, like, what an absolute brilliant quote at last minute and what an absolute amazing episode. To hear that Dean is doing so much different things to help give back as a philanthropist just really, really ignites something in you. To know that potentially when we were talking after and during the interview, that with the way the pandemic's been, you know, we were questioning how cross-infection and CF will work now because is there not a suggestion that maybe if we wore masks, we could sit in the same room or something, um, you know, in terms of transmission of things. So it's very exciting. CF, despite the pandemic, has genuinely had hope. I'm not saying that to sort of, you know, um, put too much out there, but I think that talking to Raylene Martin and Dean in Afternoon Delight in Three Seasons, 
the world has been stopping on pause for a while, but loads of other things that are exciting and hopeful have happened. And this was definitely a brilliant episode looking at hope, especially for Dean having a wee girl. You know, I've looked in my CF at how I would have children. Being gay, obviously, it's not exactly the most easy sometimes to even have children, but it's good to know there's opportunity and options out there should I want to cross that. And I'm so glad that despite that hard moment that him and his wife had a miscarriage, they managed to come out the other end because it is such a difficult one to navigate. But well done to them. And Dean, thank you for joining me. It was absolutely beautiful. Join me next week at Afternoon Delight. We're going to have three episodes dropping. We're going to have the political episode of me and Lady Rampant covering the election. That's a gag. It's just for fun. Then we're going to have Shushma Jane, who is a author of a child's book on her, do- her adopted daughter Layla's condition. Very excited to have that episode to raise awareness. And we're also going to have Alana Carson from Style Fixers. Yes, we've got Alana out of the like, iconic duo, Alana and Jamie. So yeah, it's going to be such a fun, light-hearted one next week. So many things um, happening, and I'm just so excited to be finishing Afternoon Delight for you all. We've only got a few more episodes left. I think we've got five. I've extended it a little bit, but we've got five, and then that's us. So as always, it's been a true delight. I'm off to get drunk in the sun or rain, who knows these days in Scotland. But stay safe and remember to breathe.